Welcome to the Notorious Scoundrels, a Star Wars Legion podcast bringing you the latest news, general perspective, and competitive discussion. Hello and welcome back to the Notorious Scoundrels podcast. I'm Kyle. I'm here with Mike and David and Zach. It's Monday. Uh, how are you guys doing? There you go. Asking questions again, Kyle. I don't know what I do. I have questions. I feel like you, you're like, hey, how you guys doing? And then you look straight at me in the video chat and you're like, I know he hates it when I ask this question. <laughs> All right. So for the record, for everyone listening, like four episodes ago, maybe five at this point, I, I lost track of time. Dash has said to Kyle, hey, can we do a different kind of opener rather than you saying, how are you guys doing? Because it's just the same answer every week. And it's true. The answer is pretty much the same every week. But I have to admit with with uh, Mike here that I think Kyle's starting to do it on purpose and is just throwing eye daggers at Mike when he asks this question. Because um, he knows what he's doing, but he's going to act like he doesn't know what he's doing. But he definitely is doing it on purpose. Don't don't you dare lie to me, Kyle. I, I know it. I just want to know. I mean, you know, this is this is when we hang out. I haven't talked to you guys in like in like ten minutes. We, we've <laughs> literally been having a conversation for the past four hours. <laughs> uh, no, um, yeah, it's uh, all right. So we're <laughs> we're gonna talk about we're gonna talk about Gen Con today because that's a thing. Um, we're going to do some hobby hobby talk. Probably going to be a somewhat lengthy hobby section. There's a list of fun topics here. And then we're going to talk a little bit, some tactics about knowing your list and also knowing your opponent's list and what to do if you don't know anything about your opponent's list. So uh, let's, hit, let's hit housekeeping first and news. Welcome to In the News. So Gen Con Online is going to be a thing. Of course, the physical Gen Con uh, convention was canceled but there's going to be an online thing and there's also going to be a legion tournament that is online so david do you want to talk about that yes we are organizing that is the we as in the fifth trooper and of course this is a subset of the fifth trooper are organizing a online legion tournament for gen con online that's going to be done on tts on saturday august 1st uh it'll be starting a roughly around 10 a.m uh, Eastern time to allow the West coasters to get up early and come join us. Um, there is a free event free to sign up. Um, it's already live. So if you haven't gotten, you have, haven't gotten your um, ticket through Gen Con, please go get one as soon as possible. Uh, it's 64 person tournament. We're going to do three rounds on TTS and we're going to cut to a top eight for a day two. And so for the, Round Robin portion, you'll need to go undefeated to get into the cut. Um, in terms of unit legality, we are trying to emulate a real-life tournament situation as much as possible. So I think there are no ARC Troopers or BX Droids. Sorry if you were looking forward to running those units. Um, I know we've already gotten some feedback in that direction, but hey, we're trying our best to recreate what would have been the... Um, physical experience of going to Gen Con and attending what would have been a Continental. Um, obviously, this is just unofficial. We're doing our own thing. Um, and we just want you all to come and be a part of it. And um, that said, 
unit legality, I think CAD and Padme are going to be legal. I think those are the only like new things that are going to be around because those are coming out on Friday, if I'm not mistaken. Zach, do you know? Um, I'm going to pull another. I'm Ron Burgundy. I don't know, of course, as none of us really do with FFG. But yeah, supposedly they are coming out on um, Friday, from what I understand. I know a lot of people got shipping notices. I know, Kyle, you're one of them um, roughly like 10 or 11 days ago. And that usually means like it's a two week schedule. And with that, the date ended up being, um, Friday, which is what the 17th. 17th. Um, yeah. So I think we're expecting them on Friday and we should get them on Friday, which is a little bit early compared to how we've been getting things. Um, but yeah, let's hope that's true because we want, you know, it'd be nice to see them fall in the 11 day. Um, cause with invader league, uh, we didn't get Cad's uh, Cad Bane stuff in the mod for single eliminations, and it would be interesting to see Cad Bane be used in this platform if he were to get used, uh, and see all of his cards, you know, on, on full display. Yeah, so that would be like a new meta thing, right? Because we haven't, like you said, we haven't really seen Cad Bane at his full potential yet, and um, we've also, you know, only recently seen Staps, and we know the Staps are really strong, like the top CIS list that made it in Innovator League have Staps, and so. This is maybe just another chance for them to do a, a repeat performance. So that'll be great. Um, we oh, are going... Steps, sorry? Steps won't be... Steps aren't out. Oh, so never mind. Duh. Yeah. Never mind. Whoops. So scratch what I just said. There are no steps in this tournament. Um, Iden and Cassian are essentially new. You know, yeah. I mean, obviously, they've been in Invader League. Um, but yeah, since we've had like a real tournament, it's going to be uh, uh, Iden, Cassian... Vital assets, the AAT, um, Cad Bane, and Padme. So, yeah, you know, should be pretty pretty interesting. Should be great. Um, once again, August first and second, um, we're going to be doing a lot of coverage of the event. If you cannot play, uh, there will be plenty of ways for you to join in and watch. We have some giveaways that we will talk more about as we get closer to the event, either on this show or other Fifth Trooper medias. But you can catch the games all on the Fifth Trooper YouTube on Dash's TV, twitch.tv slash Dash's TV, or on twitch.tv slash Yavinbase, which is my channel. Uh, we're going to be providing a ton of coverage for the event if you cannot play. So please, uh, you know, come join us on that day, August 1st and 2nd, and we will see you there, I hope. The prize support uh, is going to be, quote unquote, off the chain. Yeah. That's Jay's quote. Um, and we will also have not only prizes for people participating but uh just random giveaways for people like watching the stream so tune in even if you're not playing you might get some free stuff yeah i mean i think the key is to try and make this like you mentioned david as much as a like a real life event and streaming is like a major part of that and obviously prize support is another big part of that and i'm like very interested to see how this goes because this seems like an awesome time yeah, I I love the fact that, that there's just been so much. There's been like this outpouring of support for this event from the community, and I mean it's really exciting that we're all just getting together. I think there's so much like pent up demand for a big event ever since Corona has been you know uh, affecting the ability to come together in a real you know face to face and play tournaments like this, and so this is just you know I think it's just a sign of it, right? Sign of the times. Yeah, it's um. There's one spot left as of this recording, so by the time this goes live, it will probably be full. Uh, so you can you can wait list though. You can, you can I believe you can wish list tickets. 
you can get that. You can get on the wish list if someone drops it should add you in. Um, there's going to be more information as we get as we get closer to the event, of course. And so just um, stay tuned to Fifth Troopers Facebook um, Legion Discord. We'll we'll be dropping as much information as possible uh, through those links, and of course through the Gen Con messaging tool. As if you have an account on Gen Con's website and are ticketed for the event, uh, organizers can message you through there. That is how Gen Con wants us to do information dispersal but there's going to be some other things coming on down the line. So just, um, just keep your eyes peeled. Information will be coming. I'm super excited. Um, all right, let's move on to hobby. Get out your brush and paint. It's hobby time. So I've got some hobby topics. Um, but I want to ask you guys first if you've done anything hobby related recently or anything that you want to you want to talk about. I painted a single scout trooper, not a unit, a model. Hey, I'm not gonna... that's something. I'm, I'm not gonna lie. Mike moved close to his microphone, and I thought he was gonna emulate like the Bugs Bunny no meme. So I got uh, very confused there for a second. He got real close. I was like, oh, he's just going in for a big no. Um, which is what I'm doing because it's a big no for me. Uh, it's funny. The drop says, pick up your brush and it's time to paint. I haven't painted a single thing in like a month and I hate myself for it, mind you. Um, but life's been so hectic that honestly, last night I allotted myself time. I'm like, I'm going to hobby. I'm going to paint. And then it was bedtime for the kid and the kid didn't fall asleep till like 930. And I was like, all right, well, I'm not painting tonight because I got to get out the paint and I got to get the water and then I got to do this and pour the paint and I got to grab the models. And I'm just like, no, nah, that hobby time I, I, I planned is, is not happening tonight. So I have nothing to contribute as far as it comes to hobby talk. Julie's painting any walls. You got a new house, right? I had my uncle do that because uh, he's uh, like a professional <laughs> painter. And I'm just like, hey, Uncle Mike, you want to come over and uh, hit these walls for me? And he came right over and did them for me. And uh, he did definitely a way better job than I could have. So, well, so no. <laughs> I, painted a, I painted a lot of true metallic stuff because I, I'm painting other, other systems games, sadly. Sorry, Legion. I'm going to get to you. I promise. I have Cassian and K2 put together and I have R2 and 3PO put together and they're my next things I'm going to paint. Um, but I've learned through many times doing this cause I, I play, um, sort of a, uh, what do you call it? It's, it's the old world from Warhammer. It's all the dwarves and things and they all, they all wear metal. Like you basically have to love painting metallic stuff, um, to, to play this faction and have a painted army. And I just, you know, have some small pieces of advice that I've picked up about using true metallic paint. A lot of really high level painters will say, no, just do non, just do non-metallic metal because it's better. Um, but if you are using true metallics, um, you, you do need to water them down like a regular paint, but you need to use less water than normal because if you water it too much, the little flecks inside the paint uh, get so spread out and it, it starts to separate a little bit, I find, if you use too much water. Um, and then this applies to true metallics and it also applies to like putting dark paints over a lighter primer. Um, you really do need to watch where the head of your brush goes and make sure that you don't overlap too much. Because if you do get those little overlaps, the paint starts to really pile up in like one or two spots. 
and you get like kind of a, I don't know, it's, it's not really a tide mark. It's just like an uneven application of the pain, right? Like it'll be darker in some spots, lighter in others. And it hate, you, you just hate having to go back and do the touch-up work. It's much better if you just get it right the first time. It saves you so much time and energy than having to go back and fix little things. And so, I mean, I just, I just, you know, my only piece of advice other than that is just really pay attention to where that brush is, that brush tip is going. And I know it sounds really elementary, but it's just, you know, it's really a matter of like how focused you are when you work. At least that's what I find difficult about it. If I'm not focused, I just, there's just no hope for me (laughs) when I paint. So, um, this is how I do metallics and let me know if you do the same thing. I have like a super lazy metallic approach. I'll do one of those metallic shiny metal paints. If you're doing silver, I use, uh, I think it's called gun metal these days from games workshop. Um, lead, and then lead belcher maybe lead yeah, belcher. Yeah. That's it. Maybe I'm thinking of like a previous version of it. Um, it was bolt gun metal. I actually have a pot of bolt gun metal still right here on my desk. That's the, <laughs> that's the extra old version. Yeah. The old school, uh, old school cred. Okay. That's good. Yeah, so uh, I, I'll put that down, and then I will throw like a brown or black wash over it, depending on whether you want it to look like rusty or dingy. You use like a brown or like a brownish red wash, or if you want it to look cleaner, like a black wash. And then I just I just dry brush that same metallic color right over the top, and then uh, you can also use like a silver, like a lighter metallic, and go right over it with that with the dry brush. That is that's pretty close to what I do. Um... I'm a more and or a greater and greater fan of gloss wash for metallics because it, what happens when you use the, the sort of matte washes is that you lose the luster a little bit on the surfaces. And I find that the gloss wash kind of helps maintain that. And I mean, especially when you're painting when I'm painting, which is like these little, these dwarves in armor kind of this, this stuff never tarnishes according to the lore. So it has to be like the highest shine possible. Um, so I, I go for the, I go for the gloss wash. I go for layering it as high as I can. And I go for taking a bright silver edge highlight, even on the gold, because you just get that gleam rolling on it. And it looks super nice. But I, I kind of follow what you, you do, what you do, um, Kyle, with it, with it is I take like, you know, kind of a dark, you know, you go dark and paint up, right? That's kind of how it works, right? Because we're, we're not painting something with a light source. We're painting something that is... Um, you know, sort of follows the normal rules of light where it's dark in the recesses and bright on the high areas. Um, so, you know, I think we're, we're in agreement on what you do and dry brushing is, is an easy way to, to approach it. But I, I, I'm a stickler. I have to just have those little edge highlights of silver. It just, it just makes such a huge difference. Well, and when you're painting something shiny, like dwarves, I feel like that's super important. I'm usually painting, you know, just, uh, like it's going to be something like droidicas right where if you want it to be rusty or you know i played i played orcs in 40k so it does not have to be super shiny um, right you you're the you're the scavenged metal people we're the uh yeah. you know we're the uh your armor isn't regulation people <laughs> you know right well, now exactly. now I'm, all i'm envisioning is that c3po in a new hope when he's getting his oil bath and tattooing is that he's actually getting dipped in gloss melon oil so thanks for that imagery i mean pretty much that. right like that's kind of <laughs> what he looks like when he comes out of the mat i mean hold on so before i started hobbying i would, would have had no clue about that but now that we're talking about it and and you're discussing using it on gold paints that's all i can imagine that's just a big vat of gloss melon oil <laughs> 
Yeah, it's. I love that. I, I'm. I don't know whether I want to do it because I'd only use it for this one miniature. But I, I know I've seen some people do like this, like chrome gold on their three POs. That is so nice looking, and I just. Oh, it's just so cool. There's there's a lot of uh, so much more I could learn about true metallic and painting with chrome and things like that. And so maybe, maybe I'll maybe I'll go do some research and report back next week when we do the segment again. I have to admit, my favorite C three PO was probably from um, Jeff of the Outriders. But he didn't actually do true metallic. What he did was he just found like a rustoleum gold paint and mm. applied and applied like thin, thin layers to make sure he didn't because it's not it's not meant for miniatures, obviously. So if you overspray it, it's not gonna be great. And he just applied like thin layers and it actually looked like like what C three PO looked like, you know. I mean, I'm not saying that, you know, metallic paints can't get you there, but like that's my kind of method where I'm like, all right, well, we could just spray paint this and just you know put some oil on it we're good <laughs> well no, there's a whole section of the hobby right that's using these rust-oleum cans and they're doing it pretty successfully i have to say so that doesn't surprise me that he uses the he uses the rust-oleum to do it like that i've definitely heard of that method man i'd be so terrified i've had so many bad experiences with spray can stuff <laughs> it's also super humid here in dc usually so a spray can is like an extra level of risk Oh, I had it so easy before I moved to Florida. And now I'm like, oh, I got to get up at 6 a.m. so I get the right humidity so I can spray without fear. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to, I got to take a piece of test sprue and go test it and make sure it doesn't curl up on me before I actually paint the thing I want to really paint. You know, there's all kinds of stuff you can do to, to, you know, shield yourself from the crisis of having a humidity creep up on your priming process. Yeah. You could also just, sorry, you could also just prime inside with a spray hood and an airbrush if you have the money and time. But, um, you know. Yeah, airbrush avoids all the checking the weather necessities of aerosols. <laughs> Rattle canning, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, speaking of airbrushing, I got some more B1s done. I'm now halfway done. I have three full units done. I'm staring at my like 60% done other three units. Um, so, I'd, yeah, it's uh, it's been a journey. <laughs> <laughs> Even taking like the lazy approach, which is essentially, you know, I'm doing the bone white. Um, so basically, I just I airbrushed them, but I painted them black, and then I did like that zenithal highlight, uh, which basically means a top down highlight. Uh, sorry, top down spray of white, and then spray them over with um, like a tan color, and then. Uh, throw a brown wash over him and then dry brush him a lighter tan and then dry brush him white and that's it. And then, you know, paint the gun. And then I'm also doing uh, like a shoulder pattern for squad markings, which we'll talk about in a minute. Um, one thing that uh, I had a very weird experience. So there's there's a GW paint called Agrax Earthshade and it's basically a brown wash. I held an old pot of Agrax Earthshade sitting on my painting desk that was like 10% full. Um, and these were the little ones. They come in big ones now, but it was like a little one. So I'm like, there's no way that I have enough in here to do 50 B1s. So um, I ordered a new one, but I'm like, it's the same color. I can start on my first squad. So I started on my first unit, and I used the old pot, and they looked great. And then I got the new pot in the mail, and I did my second squad, and they looked awful. <laughs> and I'm like... This is literally the same process. What's the problem? So I actually, I did like a test one where I used like the old pot and then I used the new pot and I did exactly the same thing on two separate models. And that was the difference. It was weird. The old pot was so much darker and like deeper and interesting looking than the new one. 
and uh yeah so i can't figure out why but i actually did have just enough wash in that old pot to do all 50 b1s and now i've literally run out so um if i have to paint any more b1s i'm gonna be in trouble i mean i how how old is this pot that you're using uh i mean it could be 10 years old i don't know yeah i mean i think it probably has had enough time where like actual liquid in it has evaporated so that like there's like more like the density of the paint is higher i would yeah, bet the, the pigment well and just looking at them the pigment is deeper it's like yeah. a thicker it's like a thicker wash but i it looked great and i have no re, i have no way to recreate it <laughs> besides i mean i bet you if you just like took some like chaos black and like mixed it in like not a ton like you could probably get the same effect yeah, I thought about you'd probably want to use like a brown instead yeah, of the black. I mean, I don't yeah, know. I feel you. Like a rhinox hide or something. Rhinox hide, yeah. Do you ever pre-dilute your washes with medium? I know some people do that. No, um, I actually thought about trying that too, um, just to make it go farther. <laughs> <laughs> so, so there's there's a there's a paint you can buy from GW called I think it's called Lamian Medium. Yeah, um, I got some right here. Yep, it is. Its uses are are many. Um, it's very different than just like diluting something with water because diluting something with water will also dilute the pigment a little bit. Lamian medium doesn't actually dilute the pigment. It just kind of makes your paint go farther. So whenever I'm doing any kind of blending, like mixing of colors, I'll add a little bit of Lamian medium so it doesn't dry on the palette. Um, there's a million other things you can do with it. But uh, anyway, I wanted to talk about weathering because I, I tried some of this on my B1s. There's, there's like some super easy... Um, weathering techniques that you can use that are really fast. So um, there are essentially like sponges. You can you can actually buy just on online for a couple bucks like artist sponges. And um, but you can also use a lot of uh, those foam cases come with um, you know like how you tear out like little square sections of the foam case to make um, you know this the the essentially the size that you want for a particular mini you can actually use those and those work great also for this effect so it's called stipling but basically you take a paint that's like a chipping color so for my b1s which are brown i used like a dark brown rhinox hide um for rust i used uh, a redder brown i forget what it's let's see got it right here in front of me um scrag brown for like a little little bit of rust and then i used um you know gunmetal or whatever it's called these days like a metallic and you basically just dip you dip the the, the sponge or sponge section in um you kind of ball it up in your fingers you dip it in the paint and you kind of splotch it on a paper towel to get some of the extra paint off and then you just like dab it on the model kind of on the edges um, and it's very easy to overdo this so the first time you do it just underdo it but it basically creates like a chipping effect, like a super easy, quick, reasonably decent looking chipping effect. So um, I would try this on like a scratch model first because you can, you know, you should do this last after all your other stuff is done. You can totally ruin a model. I've, I've done that <laughs> with this if you overdo it. So try it on like a scratch model first. But it's a, I found it's a super easy way to just do some weathering. It makes it look like there's some chipping and stuff like that it's all an illusion like most painting is an illusion right so it's it goes on laughs but your eye can't tell so 
to your eye, it looks like the exposed metal under the paint job. Right. I essentially wanted to do this with my clones because like, I know that clones are kind of supposed to be like battle tested and I did it on a test model and I've never done this technique because I'm still kind of new to painting and I hated it so much. I was like, I'm not going to do it. Um, <laughs> but it's something I'll probably circle back on because I'm just now like getting comfortable with my highlighting. And again, you know, I've discussed this before in the podcast, like I'm, I'm new to the highlighting. I feel like I'm getting better every time. So I feel like this is something I could definitely pick up on, but I need to do it when, like you're saying, like I need to do it when I feel comfortable doing it because you can easily ruin a model by doing it, which I did. I was like, okay, I need to put another model together and uh, prime that and paint that. And this one's just going in the trash. Um, So it's definitely a technique, like you said, that kind of needs time to make sure you get it right. Um, It's funny because like my rebel troopers, I look at them and I hate, and I'm like, oh, these are good paint jobs. And I painted my clones and they're still not that great, but they're way better than my rebels. So now I'm like meticulous. I'm like, I can't ruin a model. It needs to like, like fall in line. So I don't know if I'm ready for this uh, sponge technique, but I'll get there eventually, I think. Yeah, give it a shot. It's a little practice. It's something that's really fast and, and it looks it's a good chipping effect. You can do some more complex chipping effects and, and with like an actual brush, um, but that takes a lot more time. And certainly, at least with me, with my 50B1s, I'm not doing that. So um, let's talk about squad markings. So by that, I mean having a a way, and we can talk about whether and how clear that needs to be, because I want to get your guys' opinions on this, but basically a way to associate each individual mini with a particular unit. So, so how have you guys done that for yourselves personally? And why do you feel it's important if it, if it is important? So with my Rebels... I painted each squad a different color. So like my Rebel Trooper jackets are different colors. They're like green, tan, like blue, red. And uh, the rainbow were army that I painted basically. I was like, yeah, this works what I'm doing. And then I got clones. And I primed them all. And I'm like, all right, do I want to go with one uniform army? Or do I want to go with squad markings on the shoulder pads and make every unit a different color? I ended up going for a uniform army. Um, and I'm glad I did because I think it looks better as uniform army, but you still need to like, I, I'm so adamant about marking squads because you can lose track so much during a game that I think it's like, I don't want to say it's mandatory because I know a lot of people don't want to squad mark and they, they have certain techniques they want to do. That's fine. But this game is so like in depth that I think squad marking is important because especially with clones, like where you're, co- you're cohering like in certain areas and you want to keep the space correct that you could interchange squads and mix up, you know, models real quick. So what I did is I just, I color the ring of the base. Um, I know that I've had some times where some, if I'm behind some terrain, they can't tell what color is what, but it's, it's easy. Cause I know what they are. I can see them from my vantage point. I'd be like, these three are red and like these two are green or something like that. Um, so I do rings. Um, I do prefer shoulder, um, shoulders like you're doing on your B ones. I think they look great, Kyle. And it's, it's a great technique to do shoulders. I just wanted the uniform army. So that's what I rolled with. So I did markings on my bases at first. 
I had all of them, you know, the same scheme and kind of all fit together in the same scheme. But I tried to do markings on the bases and it just wasn't working because when you're like, you know, two hours into a game, it all starts to kind of blend together. And I would catch myself like, oh my gosh, how did this squad end up with two miniatures dead? Oh, well, I guess I removed the wrong minis. Well, I guess I can't go back now. I guess that squad's just going to have to live with these accidental casualties I just pulled. Obviously, that doesn't fly in tournament. Um, I mean, Zach pretty much covered, you know, what I'm going to do. And I, I just went with, I just went with, um, you know, like one squad is red, dark, dark colors because they're light gray. And light gray is good because it goes with virtually any base color that you want. Um, mine are light gray and red. So red was a natural fit. Blue is okay as well. Purple, green, etc. Um, my major concern with marking your squads is it affects the readability of the board. Um, I've made comparisons to chess before. Last week I've made one comparison. Um, I'll make it again. In chess, you know whose pieces belong to whom and where they are. It's just very readable. Legion's a lot less readable when you have you know, two or three rebel trooper units in a clown car behind a barricade or something, you know? So you need to actually figure out, you know, what squads are which and who's gone. And, and it has to be accessible to both players. And it doesn't, it, it's never one direction. I, I figured, you know, well, if I can't read, if I can't read the board, then it's an advantage to my opponent. Actually, it's a disadvantage to your opponent because your opponent pulls the wrong minis. So, so it's just, it's just, you have to be, it's almost like a courtesy to your, to the people that you're playing, that your squads are clearly marked in my view. Yeah. I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. I, I think specifically with the introduction of, um, high impact, like armies that like really care about positioning, like specifically relevance to each other, like you really have to mark your squads like clones like to be in a ball of 40 models that is like six inches wide and you're fitting like 40 models in like a six inch by six inch like box and and you really need to know what what's what and and if there are, if there's no way to distinguish between them it's a problem um so for starters i think it's mandatory <laughs> um I think I it should be mandatory. It. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I I feel a little bit less that way with, like, Rebels and Imperials. I think you can sort of get away with it. I think it's okay. Like, if, if you pull, like, a like a Storm out of the wrong squad in, like, a casual game, it, it it's, like, not going to really matter. But when you're pulling, like, clone models and droid models off the board that are, like, specifically, like, this is the one guy in this one squad that is cohered so that you're in range of these other squads, whether that's to coordinate or share tokens, it becomes way more important. Um, and so I personally, I mark all my shoulder pads. Um, I don't actually think that there's a good way to do this, frankly. I think that we're, like, there we're dabbling in varying stages of bad. Um, I think there's actually only one way that I've seen that I've actually thought demonstrates squad markings clearly and fairly to both sides. Um, and I think it was Doug, frankly. I th um, he put stickers on his bases. Yeah, it's Doug. 
yeah he he didn't like actually base his models he put he put like uh i don't even know what to call them they're like these little dot stickers and and like he just put like all right there's a yellow sticker on this base and there's a red sticker on that base and there's a green sticker on that base and it was it couldn't have been more clear it was it was absolutely fantastic props to him for that it's the thing about it is that like you don't model the base if you do that right so like it takes away a little bit from the artistic side of it but i think from a gameplay standpoint um that method was fantastic yeah and you have to you know it's tricky right because you do have to strike a balance between it's a hobby game right so you want your dudes to look somewhat realistic but it's also super important that you just get you know that you get it right from a marking perspective and that it's obvious to both you and to your opponent um there's so many ways it's relevant you've touched on them you know cover is another thing like you have to know which minis belong to which squad because you need at least half of your models uh to be in cover to to get cover from a shot and that goes both ways right like your opponent needs to know which minis are in which squad so they can know how how to flank that barricade and if they can flank that barricade you know so um, yeah i was i was playing against a cis player right and that's equally important right not just you know for them getting cover it's important for me to know if this is the squad i did four wounds to last round or not so i can keep damaging that squad to eliminate it not you know change targets to a different squad yep it has to be yeah. visible at table distance too exactly and that's a challenge because you're contrasting it with you know you look at something like stormtroopers right like if you're doing full cannon stormtroopers like stormtroopers all look the same that's the point of being a stormtrooper Right. So, you know, if if you want to do that, is your option like stickers on the base or, um, you know, color in the bases? If if there's a, a tournament requirement for that, then I guess that, you know, those are those are essentially your options. Um, like you said, I think with stormtroopers, you can. It's It's not as important if you make like a concerted effort to keep them separately grouped. But I feel like in the chaos of a game, even with stormtroopers and rebel troopers and other units like that, it's inevitable that they just get mixed up. Um, I have not seen tournaments actually require squad markings, with the exception, <laughs> oddly enough, of Nova Open. Um, Nova Open is the only tournament I'm aware of that actually required squad markings. And interestingly, it did not require painted models or a three color minimum. It's only like hobby or painting related requirement was that the each mini it be clear which which squad that belonged to and they were basically like use a sticker, you know, if if you want to go the Doug method use a sticker, and Nova Open at least considered that even more important than having your models painted. Period. Um, I don't know if I'd go that far. I think probably it should be at some point um, both three color minimum and mini by mini squad marking required. You know, it will be interesting to see what happens whenever our next convention is, whether it's LVO next year or Adepticon or whatever. But those will be the first, uh, like, significantly sized in-person tournaments with the new factions being represented. And if they don't have, um, you know, if if they don't have squad marking requirements, I'm going to be super curious to see how that goes. I, I think most people do this anyway. Uh, so 
you know, in practice, maybe it's not an issue, but you know, besides, besides the methods we've mentioned, you can also do, I've seen people do like lines, colored lines on the bases. If you don't want to color like the entire base, um, you know, shoulder pads is super common. There's a million actually like in Canon just for droids. There's a million in Canon droid schemes that use some kind of marking somewhere on the droid. Um, I went with the across the shoulders. You know, I've seen like the head markings. Um, same for clones. There's a ton of, uh, you know, clone regiments that have some kind of like colored marking on them. So I forget um, where yeah. I've seen it, but I've seen rubber bands be used. I've seen like highlighter colored like rubber bands. You put them like so you can paint your model exactly how you want. And you can keep it all like together. And then you get like different color rubber bands and you put them around the model, like on their base, like area. I forget where I've seen it though. It might've been, honestly, it's probably on like the Facebook at this point. Um, but I know I've seen rubber bands be used. Like it's like similar to the stickers. Like around the base or around the legs? Like around the legs. So like you get okay. like small little like elastic bands, yeah. put them around the model, have them like, dang- they, they dangle, like they're not tight, but they dangle a little bit and they're all different colors and you can somewhat differentiate them. Um, that way, um, granted, I don't know where you would get a lot of different colored rubber bands, but I've seen it done. So that seems, that seems, uh, like that would be uglier than the stickers, but that's just me. I listen, I didn't say it was going to be pretty. I didn't say it was gonna be pretty. Um, but it works. It, 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 it is a functional thing that I've seen. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's a million different ways to do it. Um, I think it should be mandatory. Uh, you know, there are ways to hobby it in there. But all right, any other hobby thoughts? All right, let's move on to our tactics topic. Get ready for advanced tactics. So our topic for today is knowing your own list uh, and then also knowing your opponent's list and what to do if you don't know your opponent's list. So let's start with the first thing. How important would you say it is to know your own list and how do you do that? It's high, very high. Um <laughs> I, so somebody actually asked me in a private Discord the other day. They're like, um, it, you know, the the ROG is it's huge, like it's like eighty pages. This feels overwhelming. I don't know where to start. And I was like, well, why don't you just j- just look up the keywords that are on your units? And I think for this conversation, that that's a good place to start. Um, you know, before you play a game, I mean, like, I would say that the average army has somewhere in the realm of 10 to 20 keywords on all of its units. Some are shared, you know, ish. You know, I guess rebel troopers only have like nimble, right? Um, some of the more uh, specialized units have, you know, three or four some of the you know so um but i think that if you just look up the the keywords that are on your unit cards and on your upgrade cards in your army and on your command cards 
that's probably where you should start in this conversation. And you should go through the ROG and you should read those specific entries and make sure you understand those things. Um, that's where I'd start at least. I would say that that's definitely a good start. And the other thing I would recommend is to play the same list over and over. Now, I'm not saying it needs to be the exact same list, but let's say you're playing like a Cassian Luke list or something like that, right? Try And you're going to change the upgrades that you have on each unit, say, throughout the games. That's fine. But as long as you're playing with somewhat similar idea of the list and you play that list over and over, and it's something we've talked about before, but muscle memory is so important when playing Legion. Um, when you can do things without even thinking about them, you become a better player be- just because you don't actually have to think. And a lot of Legion is thinking, mind you. Like, But you can at least take your thoughts and put them towards something else rather than overthinking because you need to think about what your unit does at the same time. You can basically take the mental space in your mind and allot it to something more important, which is understanding the battlefield. Um, so getting those reps in and playing as many games as you can with the same list and getting the, and building that muscle memory up is absolutely vital to your success at playing Legion, I think. Yeah, I mean, we stress that a lot, but just like even if your list doesn't work or you don't feel like it works the first time you play it, just do it again. Like maybe you, you had a a bad draw, you know, on your battle cards or something that just contributed to to a poor performance with the list, and it's really not a bad list. But it's important to to do it more than once. A, so you can determine that. But B, you know, every t- I don't know about you guys, but every time I play a list, I get better with that list. Yeah, I mean, um, I've been playing. We've been quarantined for a while now, so I've been playing a lot of StarCraft. Um, and I think to, to your guys' point, you know, um, unlike in our game where you play with a list in StarCraft, you kind of play with what they call a build, which is a specific order in which you do things, um, which is and you can kind of break down a list in that fashion, too. Like it does it does certain things at certain times and um the first time you execute a build in StarCraft, generally it goes really badly because um, you've never done it before and uh, <laughs> you're not efficient at what you're doing. You are being indecisive about what you're doing um, and like situations are coming up that you didn't plan for. And so when you're opening up with you know the, a list you've played for the first time, like, let, let's just, like, even before you get into the game, you've got to go through this whole turn zero deal with picking battle cards and all this. Like, so many things can go wrong so quickly that unless you get reps in with this with this list or this build order, like, you're just, you're just never going to nail it. And, and it's going to take 10, 15 games with, with a list to really have a good idea of what you want to do at every specific juncture and even then you're going to make wrong decisions i i'm i make wrong decisions all the time still you know like i've been playing this arc star list in invader league for the better part of two and a half months i've played probably 30 games i definitely still make mistakes 
in some matchups and I'm unsure at certain junctures of games. Um, and, and that's just part of learning the list or the build order and how it works. And every time you play it again, you learn a little bit more about things that you, you, you did wrong and you get more efficient at it and you get better at it. Um, so that's a very long winded way of saying that I think reps are important. Yeah. I mean, to bounce off of that and it feels like 25 years ago since I won, uh, and the RPQ that I won last July, but it's, it hasn't even been a year. Um, but, uh, <laughs> uh, to like bounce off of that, I was playing, uh, Luke Sabine and I was playing probably upwards of like four games a week in preparation for that RPQ. And every time I played that list, I would tinker with it and I would say, what makes it better? What does this, what does that? And by the time I got to that RPQ, um, I felt very confident that I was bringing the best potential list for my personal play style based on like the 20 to 30 games that I played in preparation. And had I not done those 20 to 30 games of preparation, there's absolutely no way I win that RPQ. And, you know, again, it's just so vital for those reps. So I think um, addressing this topic, there's like two levels of it. One is like, if you're like really new, like do it, do it, Mike said, which is, which is, you know, just get familiar with your army's keywords, right? Get familiar with your weapon ranges, get familiar with the dice pools that you're going to need to toss out there. Um, you know, memorize what you can. Sometimes you just need to refer to the card. I know that like when you want to play quickly, um, having a good idea of what the common dice pools of your list are is a good thing. So like, for example, when I was playing Rebel Z6, I knew that I would need four black dice and six white dice all the time. And I just had those dice pools handy. Um, but to address the original question, right? The importance of knowing your list, hugely important. How you know your list, if you're new, figure out what your, what your keywords are, what your dice pools are. If you're less new and you're trying to figure out like, um, specific like interactions or trying to figure out, you know, what the smoothnesses are, what are the wrinkles in this list? And when I, when I say like, you know, smooth and wrinkly, it's like, there are some procedures that are just, you know, this feels right. And there are other procedures that this feels wrong or this feels haphazard or, dis or disorganized. The feeling right will come with, rep with repetition, but sometimes that feeling doesn't come and then you might need to change something up. Um, but yeah, those are like ways to know your list and, and figuring out like what role does do these units play? And like, what do these characters have to do? Like, for example, Luke Skywalker, great example. If he doesn't do something dramatic, generally speaking, he's not earning his keep, right? He's not doing the thing he was designed to do in the list and he's not functioning at maximum efficiency. I know that Kyle doesn't always agree with me when I say that because Kyle is a very defensive player and Luke's mere presence can get something accomplished. That's also true, but that's for someone who's way more advanced than we're speaking to right now. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, you just have to sort of look at what your units do and what are they doing on the on the table after the after the game is over, and have a memory of the events of the game. When I was first starting out, I never could remember what had transpired. I just knew that I lost. But you have to develop, you just have to develop a memory of the turn. And like, 
you know, actually get, you have to actually train that recall at some point to really start analyzing what's going on. I think it's a good idea to actually like keep a journal when you're training with a list, especially when you're doing with a list that you, you know, a list or a faction say that you're trying for the first time, like take notes. You know, you, you're if you if you're like playing in a tournament, you're not allowed to take notes live during a tournament. But if you're training with a list, you're probably not playing that list for the first time in a tournament. Um. So you know, like in in practice games or in your local games, like bring a notepad with you and write stuff down as it happens. I've also found that that can help to kind of divorce the impact of luck versus decisions. Because, you know, after a game, all your brain remembers is the outcome. And there's two components to that outcome, right? There's your decisions and there's luck, both good and bad, right? Like you can have a bad decision covered up by good luck and a good decision thwarted by bad luck. And you need to isolate the decision component of that and separate out the luck. And I feel like that's much easier to do if you're... um, you know, keeping some kind of, whether it's mentally or like a physical written journal of the game as it transpires. I can definitely agree with that. I kept a written journal before LVO 2019 and that helped me tremendously earning uh, an invite off of that. Yeah. I mean, I think writing stuff down is, is a really great way to, to prepare, but I think it, it kind of points to maybe even a larger issue for n- newer players. Like, I'm not going to tell like somebody that's new to the game, you know, keep a written journal. But what I will say is that, like, make sure you have a game plan. You, like, just a basic, basic game plan. You know, I whether that's, you know, if, if you're playing your first few games with a list and you're playing with a force user in it, like... My, my game plan is to make sure that Luke is in melee by turn four. And I, I'm not, I'm not encouraging this at a, like a, tur- like high level tournament play, but like you, you should just have a game plan and try and execute it. And when that game plan doesn't work, you need to ask yourself why, right? Like my game plan was to make sure that Luke, you know, got into melee by turn four. It didn't go well. Why didn't it go well? Well, Luke got shot. Okay, great. Luke got shot. Why did Luke get shot? I didn't hide him well enough. Is that my issue or is that because it's it's hard to hide Luke generally? And you start learning things about the game over the course of, of going through this process, right? Like you'll, <coughs> newsflash, undoubtedly, uh, learn that you cannot force a force user into melee without having them be vulnerable. It's not a thing in this game against a good player. And you'll you'll learn that over the course of time, but if you put together a game plan, not caring if it's going to work or not beforehand and stick to it, you will then start learning things that you can and cannot do based on evaluating whether that game plan was successful, right? My game plan is going to be to drop Cassian or Jin on the middle box during recover and run away with it. Let me see, you know, I'm going to try that five or six times and see if it works. You're inevitably going to find out that the answer is no, it doesn't. But you've got to kind of go through that process. And and those are some very topical, basic game plans. But like you can do that in any circumstance with with any list. Totally. You just basically go with plan A. You don't even think about B, C or D. And 
play as many games with plan A, and then you'll start thinking about plans B, C, or D in your next games. That happened to me. Like, I played a couple games against Kyle when I first started playing Legion, and he walloped me. And But I learned from both of those games. Like, I specifically wanted to play Kyle knowing he would kick my ass, right? Um, and this was before I was even, like, quote-unquote competitive, okay? I, I made competitive lists, but I had no, like, idea what the heck I was doing. But playing those two games with Kyle kind of catapulted me into understanding the game at a deeper level. And, you know, it's those experiences that will make you a better player. You have to be a little bit of a masochist because in order to improve, you need to seek out people that kick your ass on the regular because they'll show you where the flaws in your game are. Well, and we talked, I don't know if it was last week or the week before about practice partners. And, you know, one of the things that's important about a practice partner is you, you find someone that's, um, you know, of similar or better skill level than you. And I think that's super, you know, that's a little off topic from knowing a list, but I th- as far as getting reps in, I think that's super important. Um, so let's, knowing your own list, obviously it's very important and it's, it's something you have more control over than the second thing, which is knowing your opponent's list. So how important would you say that is? And if you roll up to a matchup and your opponent throws something on the table and you have no idea what it does or how it works, how do you handle that? It's a layered so, question. Um, <laughs> not to interrupt you, Mike. It is layered. Um, the easiest thing that I'll say, and then I'll let you go to it, Mike, is that you kind of need to understand the archetype it is. I think if you understand the archetype that it is, you can somewhat form a game plan and then build from there. And when, and if you don't know the units that you're playing against, you ask the important questions like, what do they do? What's their range? And what are like the important keywords like Pierce say? Um, something we didn't brush upon on the knowing your list. And maybe it's honestly, maybe more important knowing your opponent's list is the range threat and understanding your distances. Um, but anyways, Mike, what, what were you going to get at there? Uh, I was actually, I was going to say that I, I think that it's, it's actually pretty, pretty simple. If, if you're playing this game and you don't know what your opponent's list is, uh, that means you're not super well-versed in this game. That's fine. There's like three things you need to like topically identify when you sit down across the table from someone first every list is base threat range range three unless it's an imperial list then it's range four like just keep that in mind those are like that's the engagement range there are exceptions to that but that is kind of rule of thumb number one the second is does is there a lightsaber in their list if the answer is no great don't worry about it like you can just like look at the board and see if they have a lightsaber, right? Like you don't need to look at a card, you know, Dooku's going to be wielding his little lightsaber or Luke's going to have it out or Vader's going to have it out. You're going to see it in play and you need to identify, okay, that's a unit I want to stay away from. End of story. Right. And the last thing I think that is really important is did your opponent put a tank on the other side of the battlefield? If the answer is yes, and you don't have impact in your list, don't shoot it. Um, and, and I think those three things topically, like if you kind of just like roll with that 
and understand how those things work, you'll be fine most of the time. Like, there are going to be moments where you get shredded by a command card that you don't know. But if you don't know the command card going into the game, like, there's nothing that you can really do to fix that because your opponent's not going to be like, hey, here's my command hand. It's secret information, right? So um, I think if, in my world, if you don't know what, is in your, it, what your opponent opponent's list is doing, that's where I start. Well, and if you're just playing like a friendly game at your local store, you know, the biggest thing is just ask. Like, don't be afraid to ask, like, hey, what does this unit do? You know, uh, what should I what should I watch out for with this unit? Um, like, if I'm playing someone at my local game store, I'm happy to be like, hey, this is Emperor Palpatine. You know, if you get close to him, he's going to fry you with lightning. <laughs> like, that's what's going <laughs> to happen. Um, you know, so... Like, just ask your opponent if you don't know. Um, maybe if you're playing, like, in a tournament, um, they may react to that question a little differently than if you're at a local store. But you can still ask. Yeah, you know, totally. Ultimately, like, every game, even a competitive tourna- tournament-level game, is about a social contract. Like, we are playing a social game. And, like, don't be afraid to just ask questions of your opponent. I think that that's important, but I also like don't overcomplicate it. Like the chances are that if, like if you don't know what your opponent is putting across from the table from you, like the answers to those questions may not be insanely helpful, right? Like they're gonna be like, "Oh, I have this like unit that's gonna infiltrate and like do all this crazy stuff," and as like a new player, I don't know. I'm not sure that that's super helpful, uh, and and I think that you should just have guidelines for yourself mostly like there's going to be things in the game that break the rules and you're going to learn from that but if you don't know what the stuff does ahead of time i think and i'm not saying don't ask your opponent what your stuff does but i am saying that i would imagine that if you don't know the rules the answers to those questions will be pretty unhelpful clones break the rules is that where you're getting at The thing about it is like everything in the game inherently breaks the rules and the rules are being broken in so many different, like that's the point of the rules is that they break other rules, right? Like that's, that's the, that's, it's an FFG thing. You set up a system and then the strong things are those things that break the system, right? And and that's fine. That's cool. It's just like, it's hard to keep track of all of those things if you don't know if you if you don't know what they are and you're learning it on the fly, right? Like, um, yeah. And when we talk about breaking the rules, we're not talking about that as like necessarily a bad thing. That's literally what abilities do. You know, an ability like jump, which lets you ignore terrain, is something that breaks the rules, right? Luke has jump; he can jump over terrain. Normally, units can't jump over terrain. He's breaking the rules, right? Yeah, I'm certainly not implying that people are cheating. Just no, no. And, yeah, no, no. <laughs> I, I yeah no totally but um i feel like that phrase has like a connotation to it that's negative but we're just talking about units that have abilities and those abilities the reason that the, there's a keyword for jump and a keyword for charge is that like units can't normally do those things right so all we're talking about is like abilities that let you operate in ways that you wouldn't normally be able to operate yeah i mean, yeah. I mean like the normal rule set for Legion is like really like maybe three pages before you get into all the stuff that that changes it, right? Yeah. Like 
the the 80, 80 pages is for all of the stuff that uh, modifies the rules to some extent. And and you know, unless you're like a high level tournament player, you know, uh, you know, I mean, I think we could pretty much almost verbatim quote out like RRG entries for like charge and pierce and stuff like that. But like the average player is not going to be able to do that. It's getting harder the bigger the rules reference gets. Actually, you beat me to it. I was just going to say like, and ma- and you know what? Maybe it is a lack of playing physical games that makes learning the RRG like it used to be but like i was a judge at lvo which was in january it was only six months ago again feels like 35 years ago um and i like kind of like knew the rrg verbatim and maybe it's the newer units coming out in the past six months or so or units that aren't technically out but we're playing them on tts and and maybe it's maybe it's that that's causing this for me I feel like I'm losing grip on the RRG and that's fine. Like, and, and I'm trying to make this as like a learning thing. I'm a very well-versed player in this game, just like all of us are. And even I struggle sometimes with the RRG and that's okay. Like I don't need to know it word for word. Um, it's getting harder. Like you said, David, um, if, or at least it feels like it's harder. Um, I think that I'll get to the point where I'm starting to understand the problems that I have with the RRG, like things that I'm, I'm not remembering like off the top of my head. Um, like there's certain interactions with newer keywords that are kind of tough to figure out. Like incognito, great keyword on K2, but it's kind of hard to understand the rules reference guide entry for it at certain things. And that's not a problem with the rules. It's just playing them out you're like oh wait i don't know if i know that for sure and i go to the i go to the rules reference like you can play this game a million times and there's going to be a point in the game where you're like i'm gonna go look at the rules reference and that's okay that's what i'm basically getting at like you don't need to know every single thing in this game it's almost impossible to know every single thing in this game and that is okay incognito that's the one where you have a suppression token you can't be shot right no, that's inconspicuous. <laughs> I think Kyle's trying to make a point, but yeah. I, I do think that like you should. I I find it very helpful to have a printed copy of the current RRG, like with me when I play. Um, clearly, it is available digitally. You can download it on your phone. Um, I find that less helpful to me, so I guess pick your poison. I guess it would probably wouldn't be so bad if I had it on a tablet. My phone is really bad, so maybe that's the issue. But um, yeah, I, I mean, like, don't be afraid to look stuff up. I competitive players do it all the time. Well, and if you're at an event, you know, call a judge. But like, yeah. if, you're, if you're just if you're just playing at your local store, yeah, bring that binder, make a binder, bring it with you, like. You know, I'm not going to, um, if I'm playing across from someone and they want to open the RRG and look something up, I'm not going to fault them for it. You know, that's, so yeah, don't be afraid to ask. Don't be afraid to look it up. Um, as you, as you get reps, it'll, it'll become easier, but I mean, yeah, I, admitted, I still have stuff that I need to look up. I was going to say, yeah. admittedly, I don't know the vehicle brake rules. I look those up every time. Yeah, every single time. <laughs> every They're single like, time. Yeah, really? little damage dice. Oh, block. Uh, wait, which one is that? <laughs> I don't know. Every time. I get it wrong every time, too. I'm like, oh, blank. I think that is uh, suppressed. You have to roll a dice and I look it up. Oh, no, it's broken. Uh, it has to move twice uh, if it wants to move. And I'm just like, oh, I got that wrong for the 90th time. 
You should I mean, play Eagles more often, man. I mean, I think I know them better. Uh, that's true. And I'll be honest, I played a game, Mike, with you last week where I played clones for the first time. And you literally had to remind me that I could get uh that like to get my aim token for rest <laughs> for tactical I would turn literally tactical tokens on the board for him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> moving his units. And I was like, no, dude, you get free aim tokens. It's like vital to the clone army, Kyle. Come on. Yeah, and I was like, really? That's amazing. I mean, of course I kn- I mean, obviously I know that that's like a thing that they do, right? I've played against plenty of clones. But having done it myself, I'm just used to dropping units on the table. So I dropped Rex down, right? And then I moved on. <laughs> it's yeah, like, I was like, clearly your intent was to scout there, even if you're staying in your deployment zone, right? And he was like, what do you mean? <laughs> I, was like, I was like, well, you trigger tactical, <laughs> right? He, yeah, he's just like, not used to the acceleration on that beamer, you know? He's just not he's just not quite familiar with it yet. It's yeah. funny because I think he said something to the effect of, you know, I, I don't think I've ever felt like I've been played with a Lamborghini before, but but exactly. this is what, what that must feel like. Yeah, exactly. I you think know I said, like things busted when it has that Ferrari feel to it. You know? <laughs> yeah, why didn't someone tell me I've been driving a moped? Um, <laughs> yeah, kind of how I felt after that game. Well, I play BX droids uh, on t- in uh, Invader League with offensive push, and I got tactical, but I'm not used to doing it with every single move. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, I mean, Cassian is tactical. I don't have to choose if you be shooting? <laughs> what is uh, this witchcraft? Yeah, all right. Uh, somehow this turned into a gripe about clones. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm yeah. not great just to be clear yeah, yeah. so yeah. speaking of why don't we why don't we go ahead and end this uh, knowing your army section um when are these semifinal games from vader league happening i mean you're in uh, one of them mike i am in one of them so i hold up let me open single limbs chat because we've been talking about it in there i believe garn and luke cook are playing sunday at 1 p.m eastern saturday i think actually what was it, Saturday? Oh, wait, uh, it's, it's a Sunday in here. Oh, Unless they change. Um, got my days I think, up. I think R1 is maybe streaming it. Um, I'm not sure if we've got a confirmation on that. Uh, I have not actually scheduled my game with Kingsley yet. Um, we're sort of feeling out Friday. Um, so we'll see how that goes. But, uh, yeah. Um, Arcstar versus got- Arcstar. Yeah. There will be an arc star list in the finals of Vader League. Uh, it's just a question. And it, markedly enough, um, it's possible that arc star literally has a hundred percent win record in non mirror matchups at the end of this, even though there were two arc stars. Seems pretty good. Yeah, if the arc star list wins the final, right? Yeah, like. Arc stars will an arc star will have lost, but the only thing that it lost to was also an arc star. Um, right. <laughs> and I'm I'm stealing a line from my blog coming up this week. Uh, we need to come up with better names for these lists. Jeez. Yo, I came yeah, up with that. Name. I it was Listen, I thought it was beautiful. Mike. I love you. Okay, I, I I love Mondays. I love talking to you guys like nonstop. Okay, arc star, rec star, terrible names, awful. 
like awful. I, I mean, I should probably try and coin something else, but it's just not going to stick because everyone's just going to still call it by these bad names like crisscross for like Luke and Sabine, which I did not. Uh, yeah. I did not accept that for when I was playing that list. Awful name. It's terrible. What about um, Jump to Electric Boogaloo? That's my favorite. For I like that one. I, I love that one. Okay. I don't know why that didn't catch on. Maybe because it was just so hard to type out. I don't know what it is. But Rexstar, Arcstar, it, it makes it makes me just like, I look at him just like, I don't like it. I don't it like it. Was that make you nauseous a little bit? No, not as not as bad as crisscross. Crisscross made me nauseous. Like it definitely like made me want to puke. I, I was um, just gonna say like that's what the list is supposed to do. I fear, I fear, know. I fear no one. Okay, I fear no one except for the name. I fear the name because it's terrible. Um, but <laughs> I don't actually fear the list. Better. Okay, <laughs> you got to come up with a better better name if you if you hate the name. I yeah. actually think that the names like while they might be air quotes bad, like kind of represent the lethal efficiency and oppressiveness that they bring with them. Lethal efficiency. I see what you did there. Oh. I mean, it's a Death Star. That's like a gaming term. Yeah. Except, you know, it has Rex or it has Arcs in it. That seems like a very natural, yeah, natural so naming too. convention. I don't, I don't understand what the problem is. <laughs> I've only played Legion, so I, is this really like, like a term that's been used in gaming? Like the Death Star is this a normal thing? Because when yeah. I think Death, when I think Death Star, I think single reactor ignition, and you just see Jetta City or Scarif Beach just get blown to smithereens. So I just don't correlate the two. It's yeah, a gaming it's, term. It, it's normally like a ball of like three squads of assault terminators. <laughs> you know, like yeah, it's a uh, it's a it's a ball of elite units. Okay, it, it fits. It still stinks. How's that? I mean, they're also called death balls. We could call them arc ball and rex ball. It's even I worse. Yeah, it's even worse. Mainly because Death Star, like the idea of a Death Star, is like way more on theme in this game than it is in like 40k, <laughs> right? I mean, you could just call it Blizzard because there's five copies of Overwatch. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually pretty good. I like that. I like that way more. I like that way more. Yeah, but like you have to think about that. I don't yeah, know. yeah. It doesn't roll off the tongue. Uh, arc, arc balls. I don't arc know. Balls. <laughs> Some arc balls. I mean, you do have two full arcs in it, right? Yeah, yeah. it's definitely a fair. Like it's not like you don't know what you're playing against when somebody tells you. <laughs> Just saying, you got a you got like a pair of full arcs in that list. Yeah. You know? yeah. All right. Oh, party to teabag oh, your no. opponent. They're even. They're really big units too. You know. I don't know. Uh, massive. Absolutely <laughs> massive. <laughs> All right, we're going off the rails. Let's um, let's close this Those- out. Any- Anything Those to plug surge before? tokens let you stay alive for a while, you know? Oh, yeah. yeah. Yep. I mean, I learned that the hard way when I played Phase 1 the other night. <laughs> Zach, Zach, you want to you wanna plug uh, Codec's new adventure here? Yeah. So uh, my buddy Rich, uh, local to me, Codec, is starting a, uh, a Twitch channel to kind of teach Legion while playing games uh, this Friday night at 9 o'clock Eastern. He's going to have a game featured uh, with uh, Cirillo, uh, Mike Cirillo from the 5th Trooper. And uh, Nick Bodner, who was uh, part of one of uh, the spotlight videos that we've been doing on the Fifth Trooper YouTube, uh, you can check that out. That is the Legion University. That's on Friday night. Yeah, Friday night at nine PM Eastern. Awesome. Uh, 
That should be fun. So they're basically like doing list like list building challenges, right? Yeah. So this first week, I believe that he is forcing them to make a list with six different heavy weapons in your core units. So you have to bring six core to start with, and you have to use six different heavy weapons, if I'm not mistaken. My challenge for I'm playing next week against Keegan Evans, and our challenge, which is kind of wild, is that every unit that we put in our army, we have to use every single upgrade in it. So, like, whatever upgrade there is, heavy weapon, personnel, grenades, uh, um, I'm drawing blanks, I'm pulling a Kyle here with my waffling, but whatever it's got. Training. Training, yeah, training slots, gear slots, you have to have it completely filled out. So, basically, it's going to be like a seven-act or, like, actually, I kind of, I somehow got a nine-act rebel list together. Um, It's going to be a low-activation, like, weird, jank type of situation that he's trying to force on the players to kind of play differently and um yeah he's just trying to make a different you know a different stream every week so so i I thought it was hilarious when you said they had to bring six different heavy weapons in their core units kyle just kind of like cocked his head sideways and i think he broke a little bit (laughs) (laughs) he was like what do you mean i don't understand (laughs) like i mean clearly you that's a thing you can do but it's like triple the number you normally bring, right? Yeah. Oh, I mean, it's like six times the number you normally bring in a lot of lists. Yeah, Mike and I only know Z6 lately. <laughs> speaking of, yeah. speaking of pr- programming failures, uh, we forgot to mention we need your help building our Legion units for us. Uh, there was some spitballing done on our last cast. Let's go ahead and do like specific assignments per week, right? We got enough time to do that. Um, most people seem to agree I would be some kind of tactical droid. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, just a reminder, uh, it's me, Kyle, uh, separatists, Zach clones, Mike empire and David rebels. So, um, let's figure out which person to do this week and then we'll spend like, we'll do, we'll do one every week. Yeah. Um, all right. So, uh, we are the Notorious Scoundrels. I'm Kyle. I'm Mike. I'm David. I'm Zach Balls. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>